Friday was my day to get some errands done, and one of the errands that had to be done was um, to go and get the oil changed in my car and in my wife's car, and um, I paid a little bit to do that. Um, for our seniors here at Northside, uh, you can do that, and actually it will cost you nothing. Uh, this coming uh, Saturday, October the 5th, at 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock uh, here at Northside, you can do that. Uh, you do need to get signed up if you would like your oil changed, and uh, this is a ministry being provided by the senior member care. And so if you need that done or would like that to be done, sign up at the activities corner. And if you aren't in need of an oil change but uh, could use a, a, a wash and get the inside of the car vacuumed out, uh, you can just show up on October the 5th. So uh, sign up at the activities corner or contact Dennis Crisco at the number you see on the screen and he can answer any questions that you might have. But a wonderful service project, service opportunity. I believe the Loft Group is helping out with that. So really cool intergenerational stuff happening going on. And so uh, if you have a need of, of having your car taken care of in that way at no cost to you, uh, we'd be glad to serve you in that way. They would be glad to serve you, and Dennis would be happy to answer any questions. Dennis, will you just, I'm going to embarrass you cause, just because I see you, but will you stand up so that people know who you are? If you would or have any interest in that or have questions about it, talk to Dennis, or just go to the activities corner there in the foyer right there at, on the uh, north entrance. You'll see a corner with lots of sign-ups and stuff, and you can sign up to do that. So Saturday, October 5th, don't miss it. It'll be a good opportunity and um, I may just sign up myself and, and put on some, some little bit of gray in my hair and just, you know, choose to... No, I'm just teasing. My apologies that I missed that in the introduction. I was supposed to tell you about that earlier. And, well, I'm a caffeinated squirrel sometimes, so you're just going to have to learn to deal with that. I've told you before that I grew up in a home that... Um, where for the first half of my life, we didn't go to church. I was introduced to church by a classmate of mine, um, but in the home, uh, that didn't really happen much. We didn't crack open this book. And um, it, it was evident. There, there were some things in our family that were hard. And I don't want to get too much into that, but just just to tell you that from a young age, I was aware that family was not in my life what it could be. I saw a different way, a better way for family. Many of you know that my grandmother and her sister, her, my great aunt, were instrumental in leading me to Christ as a young teenager. And I can remember on several occasions, after church, going over to my great aunt and great uncle's home uh, there in Hayesville, a small home, uh, just a couple of bedrooms, one bath, uh, a very simple, small table at which to eat. And we would have lunch, and the meal was not lavish, it was simple, but I deeply, deeply remember sitting at the table 
with a maybe it was a little pork tenderloin and a slice of tomato or two and, and maybe some mashed potatoes or macaroni and cheese or maybe a little bit of salad. And, and it wasn't about the meal, but there was something as I go back to the table there with my great aunt and great uncle in that small house that resonated. There was peace in that home, which was not in mine. There was joy over small things and happiness that was shared around a simple meal. You understand it was not what was at the table. It's what I loved about my great aunt and my great uncle and my grandmother that they served. It was what was in their hearts that overflowed into their homes. You see, when we talk about families, you need to understand that as we open the pages of this book, it is God's perfect plan with a very imperfect people. My great aunt and great uncle, uh, they were not perfect people, and, and they did not have a perfect, flawless family. No one does. But they were committed to raising their family in the ways that God had told them to raise their family. And as such, there was a benefit, there was a blessing in that home. Though they didn't have much from earthly standards, they were lavishly rich in spiritual ways. That made an impact on me. When we talk about this at Northside, amongst leadership, we refer to this as being an orange church. What that simply means is not that we're going to paint all the walls in bright neon orange and, and refabric the pews. Um, I don't know. That might be in the plan. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> but not that I know of. What that comes from is an idea that, uh, and there's conferences and classes and all of that, but, but it's this idea that churches want to partner with families. And families want to partner with churches to not only teach and preach what God has to say to and for families, but to give them practical, applicational things which families can do to be a blessing and to make their homes into a blessing. We believe that's important. We know it's important today. We believe it's profoundly important for tomorrow. As we watch a generation slipping away from the church, as leaders we go, what do we do? And as we look at the pages of scripture, the thing we believe that we can best do is partner with families and partner with husbands and wives and moms and dads. And yes, even single people have a role to play in this task of eternal importance. It is the eternal family of God and the earthly family into which you were born and of which you are a part working together for an eternal task. This, whether or not it was ever called orange officially, is one of the many roles and tasks of a, what a good church to, is to do. As we, be think, as we are thinking about our rhythm, which is the series we're on right now, we said last week as we introduced the series that a rhythm is any strong, regular, repeated pattern 
that God is to be the strong, regular, and repeated pattern of movement throughout our lives. How then we would be terribly remiss if we skipped over the influence and the impact of a family on your rhythm. I mean, your family has so much impact on your rhythm, and you don't even realize it. Well, you will one day. In that wonderful, joyous, and hilarious time um, known as marriage, when a husband and wife who've been raised in a certain way and they sort of have certain habits and routines and, and things that their family did. And then you take these two people and in the covenant of marriage, they form a new home. They leave their father and mother and they form a new home as God intended. And now all of a sudden you have people from one habit system and pattern and one from another and they're coming together. And it's like, oh, I, what do you mean there's not orange juice on the table? I, my mother always put orange juice on the table in the mornings. That's just kind of the way that it was. You, you mean to tell me you're actually going to fold the towel that way? That is not the way to fold towels. That was a lesson I learned early on in marriage, a very simple lesson that I had been doing, folding towels wrong for 20 years of my life. It's bigger things. It's bigger things. It's not just those little things about... You know, whether you do breakfast or not, or how you do the laundry, or who does what. But it's, it's big things like, is church a part of our lives? Is worshiping God a part of the rhythm? Do we as a family take time to open God's word and read it and talk about it? Is it making any, do we as a family do any mission work or service projects in which we stop focusing on ourselves and focus on other people? You see, a family has a huge impact just by virtue of their rhythm. I tell parents, uh, many times I see young parents, uh, <laughs> I, I jokingly call it the parent, parent penalty box, you know, right there behind the glass wall, you know, or they go out into the foyer because, you know, the, the baby's crying or the kids are, are being restless. And I, I go out there and I encourage them and I say, I know that it's hard. I understand there are days when you go, why did we even come? What was the point in that? And I just tell them, it matters so very much more than you realize. Because you're impacting their rhythm. They're learning that Sunday with God's family is important. It's something that we're a part of. It's where people we're connected to. And even though, this is Stacy here, this is holding and rocking, you're, you're influencing her rhythm. We do that as families. It's a teenage girl who was having an argument with her father. Sometimes teenage girls do that. Probably none of you all. But this teenage girl was in a, a moment of heated discussion, a, a moment of intense fellowship, we might say. And, and the father said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I tell you what, let's stop for just a second. And I don't remember the issue at hand, but the father, being a godly man, had a, had a verse in his mind that he had read or had memorized or had studied in Bible class. And he said, tell you what, let's, let's go. What he was doing was appealing to a higher authority. Let's look at what God says about this. And they went to the table and they opened the book and, they, and he turned to the verse and he said, would you please read that? And she did. Now she can roll her eyes at her daddy, and she may have, but it's much, much deeper 
when you bring her into a relationship with her father, she learned, she grew, she matured. She won't forget that. Her, her rhythm was being impacted. It's a family who does things not always on the spiritual side of things. Uh, Mark and Lindsay Triplett are so good at this. Uh, they set an example for me. They, they take all of their daughters on dates, one-on-one or sometimes as a group, and do family dates. What a, what a cool thing to take time away from the screen, away from the iPad, and, and just connect with your daughters. That's important. I know Mark and Lindsay know that because they're doing it. But do you understand that they're, they're impacting there? They're changing the family tree. Those girls will grow up and meet young men, and they will want to find young men who love God like their daddy loves God. Who believes God is real and not just lip service, but it's a real thing. They're looking for those kind of men because that's the rhythm that's been set for them. Do you understand what I'm saying here? How much of an impact a family makes. It's the family that stops every night at the same time. And no matter what they're doing, they say, hey, come on into the living room, guys. We're going to read the Bible together. And when the kids were younger, it was just mom and dad. And the kids got older and they were able to read. They'd pass it around. They were changing the rhythm of their generation. It's parents who pray for their children. Most parents do that, I think, if we take it seriously. But it's parents who pray with their children in a moment of hard, when they, when they got a bad grade at school, and they say, you know what, you're going to do better. Better days are going to come. But I tell you what, I know you're going through a hard thing. Let's go talk to God. That's making an impact. Or it's uh, you having a a bad performance at the sports activity, the, the game, just not playing your best. And you know what? You're going to do our best, but let's, let's bring God into the picture. That makes an impact in more ways than you know. It's grandparents who, who thought their season of parenting was over, and they are now raising, and I mean sometimes in a physical way and sometimes in a spiritual way and sometimes both, they are bringing their grandchildren to church. And you think, I don't know if I can do this. I thought I was already through this. This is hard. I already did this one time, and why am I here doing it again? You're making an impact. You're influencing the rhythm of a generation. The whole idea, the whole idea of all of this was God's in the first place. The family was the original plan of God. Think about it. All the way in Genesis chapter 2. Long before cities and states and nations and governments and, and even the church, long before any of that existed, God had in mind the family. The first small group, if you will, that was going to influence and impact the children. He knew, as we know, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, that human beings are designed to be in relationship. The Lord God said of Adam, it is not good that man should be alone. You know, the animals, some animals are born and and just a matter of hours or days are up and walking and they're pretty much on their own. Not all animals are that way, but human beings are not animals. They're created in the image of God and wired to be relational. And God knew that that little child would need a mother and a father. And that would be, make a huge impact for the soul of that child. I often say as a parent, one of the smartest things God ever did was make us raise our own children. It's, it's sort of humorous how many times 
when I am parenting a miniature version of myself, I'm like, man, you are stubborn. Oh, I get it. Okay. <laughs> so God established a home. Now, when you and I say home, we're talk, you, we often think of, you know, a structure. You know, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, what's the flooring look like and the colors. No, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. When I say a home, I mean not a physical structure, but a people, a system, if you will. Now, think about it like this. If we, if we jump from Genesis chapter 2, and hold your finger there because we're going to go back. But look at the Gospel of Luke, which is the very uh, third verse, rather the third book in the New Testament. And Luke chapter 2 is going to be about, on the Pew Bible anyway, uh, page 1100, if you're following along. Um, verse 40 of Luke chapter 2. Can I just say I love that sound right there? The sound of pages turning. And I know some of you use your phones, I do too, but that's a beautiful sound. Verse 40 says, the child, now this is not just any child, this is the child, the hope of all humanity. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. How did he do that? Verse 39 explains, when they had performed everything, this is Mary and Joseph, according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Verse 40, and the child grew and became strong. Jesus himself, when he came incarnate into this world, into flesh, he needed a family, a mother and a father, just as every child needs a mother and a father. For what purpose? To, in the very same way, to help them grow and make them strong, not just physically, but emotionally and relationally and uh, intellectually to fill him with wisdom. Luke 52 is probably the best, one of the best known verses about the childhood of Jesus. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. How did that happen? That didn't happen with Jesus on his own. He had a mother who was committed to being the Lord's servant. He had a father who certainly did not understand the plan, but was willing to take on this son as his own so that he was known as the carpenter's son. Joseph knew he was not just building things out of wood anymore. He was building a little child into a man. The plan, you see, now we're going to jump back to Luke, uh, Genesis chapter 2, back to page Three in the Pew Bible. The plan started all the way back in the beginning. Verse 24 and 25 of Luke of Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, a, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So man, has, Adam has been created. It's not good for him to be alone, so he creates for her, him a helper. And in doing so, he creates something beyond a helper. He creates a home. The beautiful, powerful, simple, yet effective covenant of marriage. These two verses 
give us a very simple formula for the home. One man and one woman for one lifetime. That's how God intended it to be. That was the original plan. And when you look at those two, just those two verses, you, you see some basic blessings within the scripture. You see the blessing of maturity, a man. You see, marriage is not made for immature people. A man and a woman must leave their families and rise to the occasion demanded by marriage. A man leaves his father and mother. That tells us about boundaries. You cannot have a new family by continuing to bolt on to your old families. You're still a part of your families, but it's new. It's different. It's a different home. When Christy and I were married 20 years ago, one of my first jobs was 1,600 miles away from both of our families. And part of that was by design, not because we don't love our families, but because of Genesis chapter 2. I needed, we needed some time. Oh, didn't we need some time? (laughs) When it was just her and I learning each other's rhythms, understanding each other's strengths and weaknesses and flaws, of which she has few and of which I have many. We needed that time to pull away from each other where she just couldn't run to her mama at a moment's notice and say, oh, mama, tell me what to do, tell me what to do, and involve. And you see families like that where parents are over-involved in a new family's life. And that ch- that's, listen, Genesis 2, they leave their father and mother. A new couple must learn to establish themselves as a home and to depend first on God and then upon each other. And it's the blessing of commitment. The man leaves and he's united to his wife. Of course, that happens in the physical way. We understand that. But God designed that to be so much more than a physical act. There is something that is bonding between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. And they are united. They're a united front. And that's so important To understand that they've got to be in this together. They've got to be on the same page. They've got to be serving the same God. The Apostle Paul will later say, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what fellowship has light with darkness. They've got to be united. And then it brings, of course, the blessing of intimacy. Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. Do you know this is such a strange thing? Um, It is very hard to go on Google Images and type in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 and get an image that I can use on a PowerPoint slide that I can show you for a general G-rated audience. But that wasn't how God intended it in the beginning, before a world of sin. He came in and he established that not only could Adam and Eve be without clothes, but they could be intimate They could be vulnerable. They could be without shield, without protection, without covering, without mask, and be totally okay with each other. That's how God designed it. And this is what happens in marriage in the process of intimacy. When you begin to grow closer to each other and you love each other, not just through your physical imperfections, but through your emotional and spiritual imperfections, they were naked. And they felt no shame. 
Now, trouble, verse, trouble, trouble starts always when we mess up the plan. You would look at Matthew chapter 19, and the, the, the people of the day, they had messed up the plan over and over and over again. They had messed it up with divorce. They had messed it up with adultery. They had messed it up with polygamy. They had messed it up with, with all sorts of stuff. We've messed it up. We add things that they didn't add, and sometimes they did. But, but bisexuality, homosexuality, transsexuality, all of that stuff was never in the plan. It was not in the plan. And in Matthew chapter 19, they, they, they're specifically asking about divorce, okay? And they want to know, teacher, is it right? What, what's the problem? How do you define this? What, what, is the way, what is the right way to do it or to not do it? In other words, they wanted to argue about it. And the Pharisees came up to him. This is page 1057, if you care to follow along. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read? Have you not read? Of course they had read, but they had just forgotten to apply. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Again, they wanted to argue, and, and this is not a, a specific lesson on that specific topic, but, but Jesus simply does a very beautiful thing in the midst of all the arguments and all the yeah buts and all the if thens. Jesus said, have you not read? Go back to the basics. Keep it simple. What did God say? What did God say? What did God tell you? How did God set it up in the beginning when the world was beautiful and perfect and good and without sin? In the mind of your father, what was his perfect plan? They still want to argue. Jesus is saying, listen to me now. You're missing it. Go back to the basics and remember that marriage was designed to be a blessing. And the more you tinker with God's original plan, the worse it's going to get. The harder it's going to get. The world may accept all of our tinkerings and all of our additions and all of our changes to the plan as we proudly pronounce how advanced and enlightened we are. But God doesn't change. The the same Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 that Jesus read, though he didn't have a a book per se, the same Genesis 2 that we read today is the same Genesis 2 that Jesus quoted 2,000 years ago. The plan, you see, didn't change. The greatest blessing is in sticking with God's plan. The plan was not just a part of God's plan. It was to fulfill a holy purpose. Ephesians chapter 6, the verse that James read for us this morning, is pretty clear about the role And we're going to jump into that a little bit more in depth. The first plan is, the first purpose rather, is that God 
is going to teach his children through the family about authority. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The the scripture, and I know you've heard me say it before, I'm going to look at you because I know you guys always obey your parents, but you can tell this to your friends, okay? Just between you and me. There are times when your parents are wrong. Would you agree with that? (laughs) Man, I got revival in the youth group, man. Oh yeah, preach it, preach it. But listen, if you're, if you're following along in your Bibles, and I appreciate those of you who are, look at Ephesians 6 again. Look at it again. Ephesians chapter 6. Children, sorry, I don't mean that to demean you, but this is kind of referring to anyone who is not in a family of their own. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for they are right. No, it's not what it says. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this For this is right. As a parent, I can tell you there are times when I mess it up. There are times when I get it wrong. There are times when I'm too harsh. There are times when I miss something that you wanted to to tell me, and I missed it. I didn't hear it. I was too busy thinking about other things. There are times when I mess it up. But the scripture says it's not about mom and dad always being right. Because there's coming a time when you're going to grow up and get married and you're going to have children of your own and you're going to figure out you don't know what you're doing either. But that doesn't matter to God. God wants your children to obey you when you get married and and have children of your own. God wants them to obey you just like he wants you to obey your parents, whether or not they're right. He wants you to obey them because this is right. So just underline that word, this. Okay? You guys focus on the they and the arguing and, the, and the, the rolling of the eyes. I get it. But that's all about focusing on their not right. But listen, the scripture says, do what this is right. The scripture says that when you do that, What's happening is you are learning a powerful lesson, and it's a lesson about authority. Let me just stop talking for the teens for just a second and say, parents, if you have children, you are in charge. You have the authority. Act like it. This is something I'm watching young parents do, and they get into a negotiation with their child. I watch this at restaurants. I watch this out in public. Oh, honey, sweetie, would you just, could you just please do that? Would you please do? You are not acting like the authority. God put you in charge. One of the most confusing things you can do to a child is not act like the authority that you are in their lives. They will not like it. That's okay. Someday they'll learn to love you if you'll be their authority. How can they obey you if you don't act like you're in charge? Whatever you say is the law. It's the answer that Tyler hates. And we're in the, we're in the age of negotiation right now, aren't we? <laughs> I'll say something. I'll give him a command, an edict, or he'll ask me for permission. I'll say yes or no. 
And what does he want to say? But. And my answer is. Because I said so. That is a perfectly acceptable and right answer. Why? Because God puts you in charge. Now, Tyler needs to learn that. Grace needs to learn that. Children need to learn that. And parents need to learn that. See, the problem is, if a child does not learn authority and a parent doesn't learn to be an authority, that child is going to grow up not understanding what authority is. And he or she may have a few few run-ins with authority. This picture was Tyler driving on the way to church this morning. Uh, I'm teasing. It was obviously not Tyler. Uh, this is when Christy was driving. Authority uh, issues have everyday consequences. We, we see the result of a generation of children who have never been told no in their lives. My goodness, what a basic lesson in authority. Use the word yes, use the word no, but use it and mean it. And show them what it means to be as a person in authority. Because your children are going to grow up and they're going to be under authority their whole lives. They're going to have college professors who don't treat them fairly. And you, as a parent, should not come in and rescue them. You as a parent should teach them that the college professor, like it or not, is the one in authority. They're going to have bosses that they don't like. And they're going to have hard days when they have to learn to yield to authority. Not because they are right, but because this is right. Authority issues have deeper and eternal consequences than speeding tickets. Authority issues have eternal consequences. When you think you don't have to yield to an authority, it's not too long before you have a generation that has no problem going to hell. Because who said so? And who are they? And why do I care? The family is there to teach authority, and that's so eternally important Romans chapter 13, not speaking of parental authority, speaking of governing authority. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 13, that, that uh, the, those in authority are there to do you good. They're there for your benefit. When that police officer pulls you over for doing 80 and a 65, that's not because they're on a monthly quota. That's not because they like picking on you. It's so that Kellogg can be a safer place to drive. Do you react toward their authority as your children act toward your authority? But why? This isn't the speed limit. I'm just keeping up with traffic. No, I, you know what? You want to blow the uh, state trooper's mind next time you get pulled over for speeding? Just hand them your license and your registration and say, yes, I was speeding. It was wrong and I'm sorry. They might just pass out there on the side of the road. And then you can speed off and go. And, yeah. <laughs> wrong lesson, wrong lesson. The second part of what a, a family teaches is God's love. Through the family, we learn about the power of unconditional love. 
We watched, uh, as many on social media did, uh, with, uh, uh, I want to say Kelsey Nash. Kelsey Enriquez gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. And you just see that as new parents. And they're so full of all of the unconditional love. Their hearts are overflowing. They can, <laughs> and that didn't come, for, that just came, that's a very natural thing. That's what happens to the family. Through the family, we learned about the power of unconditional love, ongoing love. The Bible says there are three types of love. Eros, which is romantic love. Phileo, which is brotherly love. And storge, which is familial love. You've heard that sermon before, probably. But all those types of love are used to teach us about the ultimate love. 1 Corinthians 13, the agape love. The eternal, unconditional love of God. Take a look at this This. MRI, this is a really cool picture I thought was neat. This is a MRI of a mother kissing her baby. And what's happening there, what you're seeing, those little orange spots in the brain, is a chemical reaction, not just in the mother's brain, but in the baby's brain that is releasing a burst of oxycotton, which is the hormone that produces feelings of affection and attachment. This is an MRI. This is a literal picture of love. The second purpose of the family is to pass on this, the kind of love that God has for us. 1 John four eleven and 12, if you're caring to follow along. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You see, this is the goal of family, is to pass on love from one generation to another. And finally, the family is to share and to show God's power. Ephesians 6, verse 4, the end of it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Exasperation comes from just differing expectations. May your training of your children have consistent expectations. How do we do that? We parent from Scripture. We parent based on scriptural principles. If you don't know how to do that, by the way, on Wednesday nights, they're having an intentional parenting class. If you haven't joined, if you haven't been a part of that, or even if you've been there before, come on back and learn some of those powerful principles. God wants families to show and to share faith. What's going to make a difference in your children's lives and your grandkids' lives is not the lesson that Toby does every week. What makes a deeper impact is the lesson that you teach them every day. Deuteronomy 6. This is pure Deuteronomy 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, bring God into the conversation. And you can do that when they're very little and they're going along and your three-year-old's looking at a caterpillar, looking along the sidewalk. And, and you have a moment where as a parent, you can say, oh, come on, come on, come on. We got to go. We got to go. Or you can take 60 seconds and get down with them and say, look at that. Isn't that an amazing caterpillar that God made? And what have you done? At their level, you have brought God into the conversation using a caterpillar. 
You have a moment. Every day, parents, every moment is an opportunity to glorify God. I mean, it's simple things like the sunsets and the clouds and nature and going on hikes and seeing the outside, seeing the created world and using that to magnify the create or. But it's bigger things. It's things like church life. It's things like when we've got someone who needs a heart transplant and the entire church comes together and gets on their knees and begs God for a heart. That is a teaching opportunity for children, not just in the pews, but in the conversation on the way home. This is how we lean on God. This is how we trust God. This is how we believe that God is going to bring a heart. May we not miss those moments. And may we not ignore the opportunity, not just to tell, but also to show. Psalm 78 says, we will tell the next generation, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, the power and the wonders of what he has done. My question for you is this. When was the last time? When was the last time you told your, your children or your grandchildren about what God has done in your life? That's a challenge for today. Actually, there's a challenge for this week. On the way home, shut the radio off and put the phones away. And children or grandchildren, ask your Parents or grandparents, how has God impacted your life? You have an opportunity to share and to show and to tell the wonders of what God has done. I was reading in Psalm 106 this past week. Psalm 106, there's a phrase in there, and it's talking about the Israelite people. And it goes at verse 14, I think it says, but they soon forgot. How did they forget? Because they were never told. Because they were never told. And don't just assume because they're here that they're hearing. The impact comes from the life that you live and how you share as you go along the way. The only way into the family of God, as we think about the family and as we close, is through the Son of God. If you're not in the family of God, that can begin with just a single step of trusting Jesus and doing what he said to do. And if you're ready to do that, and maybe you've heard the story from your parents and your grandparents, and you say, I need to do that, we can help you with that this morning. And if you, if you are sitting there, and, and maybe you had a family that didn't teach you about God or share God or show God, I'm sorry that you didn't have that blessing, but you, I can tell you from a personal testimony, things can change. You can have the blessings of God, not just for you, but within your family as well. If you need some prayers of this congregation, if we can pray with you or for you, encourage you in any way, or if you need to repent in a public way of a sin, we are glad to help you. Uh, Please, if you're not a part of the family of God, uh, don't miss out on the Son of God. If you need him or if you need us, please come forward as together we stand and sing.